Hi, welcome to Offscript. I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Today on the show, we're looking at Fast X, the exciting new Fast and Furious feature, and what is supposed to be kind of the wrap-up of the franchise. Uh, we went and watched it. Andy and I are not big Fast and Furious fans, so a bit of a cynical but tidy review of the new Fast movie. Uh, we're also going to take a look at History of Violence. Ah, uh, History of Violence, excuse me. David Cronenberg movie from 2005. Weird one to watch, but we're in this space in summer where like, we're not quite getting awesome movies Back to back to well, we're getting good movies back to back, but never like three or four in a row at the movie theater. So we gotta we gotta find something else to pair this stuff with. We figured why not? It's Cronenberg. We like Cronenberg just fine. Viggo Mortensen's in it. We're gonna talk about it. it came out two thousand five. Uh, we're gonna talk about some trailers and things that are coming up uh, that you might want to keep an eye on. Uh, Little Mermaid uh, is next week on the podcast. And before we get to all that on the show, uh, when you talk about the news, our first story this week. HBO Max is dead. Yes, rip. If you have HBO Max on your Roku, on your iPhone, just go ahead and uninstall that app. It's done for. Max is the new thing. It's here. We've talked about this on the show before. If you haven't been listening, this is what's going on. Uh, Warner Brothers Discovery has officially made the change as of today, the day this episode's coming out. So if you're listening to this, it's already happened. Uh, and HBO Max has been rolled into Max, an all-in-one streaming service featuring HBO Max content and Discovery Plus content. Andy, what what's this about for people who haven't heard or don't know what we're talking about? What what is this? All right. So it was announced a few, I guess, about six months ago that uh, with Warner Brothers and Discovery merging, that they would try to build some sort of unified app that would have both content from Discovery Plus and HBO on it. And that is manifested today. It's come out that the app is just called Max, simply Max. Um, and I, I downloaded it uh, this morning. I I have the HBO Max. And so for some people, they just could log into uh, HBO Max and it would work, but that it didn't work for me. I had to download the separate app. Um, and it seemed to work fine. It, it actually worked pretty well. It was really strange, though, because it's a big mix of all the content. So you have, like, Succession right next to 90 Day Fiance, uh, which, which is kind of bizarre to me. But it does have, like, an HBO tab. I haven't really gotten into it too much, but it, it was working for me. Same. I haven't downloaded it yet on any sp specific device, but I checked out the desktop version uh, today while I was at work. Um I, it looks like it's going to be just an amalgamation of everything, right? They've got their little banners that'll say like, you know, new, new Max Originals and and movies you might like. But they've also got, you know, from from the Learning Channel, which is like a horror banner of reality 90 Day Fiance and like my thousand pound neighbor content <laughs> that I'm ne never ever going to watch or engage with. Um, that I wouldn't be paying for if I didn't want to. Uh, this this whole conversion does increase in price. What is it? I think a couple bucks or something. Like we're all going to be paying a more dollar now. or two. Yeah, yeah. Uh, bummer, I guess. But if you've been keeping up with HBO's incredible run of Sunday shows uh, since January, uh, you might already be subscribed, and you probably don't care. I don't anyway. I'm I'm willing to stick around. Uh, but some users reported some issues uh, when this went over live. Uh, some people were saying they couldn't get on the site. Streaming content wasn't working. Most importantly, uh, some people were reporting on iPhone and Android that like they would have to go down, delete their current HBO Max app and re-download Max from the App Store, which has got to be the hardest thing ever that, that, that an app developer wants you to do, right? Like getting that initial download to work is the whole game. And if you already have an app on somebody's device, much easier to just update that. Don't know why it's happening. Couldn't tell you. They're still working it out. So just 
something to keep an eye on, I guess. Uh, and have you actually watched any HBO content on it yet? I mean, what do you any any initial not, not, impressions on what's going on over there? Not yet. No, I haven't watched anything yet. I just kind of scrolled through it, saw all the offerings, see how it was set up. Um, like I said, there is a tab that's just HBO, which I liked because um, I don't like the. I don't want to sift through all the discovery garbage while I'm going through yeah. HBO. Haven't watched it, but it, I mean, it's laid out fine. Seems seemed to work pretty well. Um, we'll kind of see. The, it, I can tell you from a tech standpoint, like it's a total nightmare because you got to think of there's so many different devices between phones, smart TVs, Roku's, whatever else. Like it's not as simple as like just swapping the logo out, and um, you know, it's a major, major un- undertaking and. Um, you know, these things are always, always come with a lot of problems. Yeah. Not to mention like just the general idea of shaking out the HBO name from the title, something that, you know, some HBO fans may not be as much a fan of, but we'll keep it here, uh, for more on off script for, you know, what's going on with HBO max and other streaming services. We'll see you talk about Netflix in just a minute, but before we get into that story, uh, Winnie the Pooh blood and honey is making rounds again, or at least <laughs> the idea of a sequel, uh, at Cannes film festival, uh, apparently, they are going to be making a follow-up to this tragedy of a film. We actually reviewed it on this podcast. It's not good. Like, just on the, on the it's front. It's so terrible. You, you can go back and listen to the episode if you like, but I'll just give you the short of it. Like, it's bad. It's not so bad. It's good bad. It's just bad. And and the idea of this getting a sequel is strictly on the topic of, you know, its subject, Winnie the Pooh, a former Disney property, and, and, and how far that's going to take them. Andy, what do you think about this? Well, you know, the film business is a business and the movie was really successful. It was made on a $100,000 budget and ended up making about 6 million in the US, you know, that's 6,000% uh profit. Uh so they're going to keep going with it and uh you know, they've established at least a little bit of a brand and they're going to they're going to green they've green greenlit a sequel and it's already sold and it's going to be <laughs> distributed wide. Um so it's I from a business standpoint, it's a smart move. Getting a sequel to Winnie the Pooh, Blood and the Honey, like, is, is a little like the, the inventor of Wordle selling the New York Times for a million dollars, like, right at the peak of the pandemic when everybody was trapped inside and had nothing better to do and the game had gone viral. Like, he just he just sold it at the right moment. Like, that's really why he made that money, because Wordle's great, but, like, a million dollars is a tall order. And, and meanwhile, like, the sequel to Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey is kind of in the same boat. Like, the fact that it's even getting purchase is is amazing and the only reason it's happening is because of the buzz around it associated with of course like its former disney trapping since the copyright uh, was released on the original winnie the pooh property this was able to happen that's the deal doesn't actually have anything to do with disney it just seems a whole lot like it because it's got the name winnie the pooh on it uh this additionally trickles down to bambi uh another, <laughs> another the <Disney> reckoning <laughs> Yeah, uh, Bambi is getting a uh, low-budget, X-rated, bloody adaptation as well uh, from the producers of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey. Uh, how far is this going to go down, Andy? Like, is this going to be like an asylum studio just making knockoff Disney rips? Uh, I mean, what what are we looking at here? I mean, probably un- until these things stop making money. And I mean, if they can make it on a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars, uh, and make a huge amount of money back, you know, why not keep going? 
see how far the joke can go. Yeah, well, keep it here on off script to see how far the joke does go. We'll keep you updated on more. Uh, jury's out, and if we go see a Winnie the Pooh Blood and Honey sequel, though, dude, God, the first one was a slog. <laughs> the first, first one was rough. Really was. Uh, two more stories. Uh, Netflix is cracking down on password sharing in the United States. Finally. It's happening. We've been talking about this for months. They've been testing this in secondary markets, but now we have a plan. They're emailing subscribers. It's coming, baby. Get ready to pay another $8 a month to let your grandma watch your Netflix. Uh, <laughs> what is this about, Andy? What, what's what's going on? So password sharing has been a bane for Netflix as long as the service has existed, and they've recently tried to take steps to stop that and mitigate that. Uh, they rolled out this program in uh, Central America and some smaller territories. Uh, had some positive feedback, and so it's here. And the big thing is uh, to add an kind of an extra account onto yours. Uh, is it going to be an additional eight bucks? So if you want, like you said, grandma or someone else who lives in your household, that the, they're going to utilize location tracking uh, to make sure it's on a certain Wi-Fi or. Uh, network um eight bucks but that's only for two so you can't put like five people on your cat you can only put two accounts on on yours and that's only if you have like the premium netflix if you have like the ad supported one you don't get the option i don't pay for netflix in our house uh my wife does um but if i did pay for it dude i'd so be getting rid of it like i'm so over this this is it's it's like it's like Major League Baseball introducing a pitch clock instead of like letting people watch baseball on their phones whenever there's a game. Like why not why don't you guys focus on making better content instead of like cracking down on how people are accessing it? Maybe instead of trying to squeeze another dollar out of customers who are already relatively dissatisfied with the service that's only popping when like Stranger Things is on, um you guys could focus on, you know, making good shows and actually running them for a few seasons and building like a core audience. This is going to hurt the people who care the most, right? Uh, the new season of Bridgerton just came out. It's a limited series. Uh, Queen Charlotte. Christina's watching. She loved it. And her friends love it. These are people who like continue to loyally subscribe to Netflix. And like, who's getting squeezed for this? They are. Because their mom is watching, right? Or their sister watching. Or, and this is the target audience we really all should be thinking about, the troops are watching. Hmm? There's sol <laughs> soldiers overseas. How are they going to watch Netflix, huh? How's that going to happen? Nobody's thinking about the troops, Andy. Um, I think this is super lame. Like, I think it's super lame. I think it comes on the back of like an already middling content strategy from Netflix. I, a huge L for me. I, I, I think they should not. They should not do this. I, I don't like it. I don't want other streamers to start doing it too. Yeah, we'll see how this goes. I think it's going to backfire a lot. Um, but apparently, according to Netflix data, the overall, overall, it's it's a uh, it's profitable. Like they're gonna earn more money per user than without it, um, but we'll, we'll see what what how it actually happens and how I mean because they're gonna run into some you know someone's not gonna be able to access something that they are paying for, and they're gonna get mad and just cancel it. Yep. Um, so we'll see what happens. Yeah, it's not great. Like, not a fan. Cancel Netflix. Like, whatever. <laughs> You're right. Like, it seems like this isn't a gamble from them. Like, they've tested this in other markets. Uh, they, to them, the, the math shakes out. Where they're going to make more money than they're going to lose, but like, I, I just if if Netflix goes down the drain in the next decade or two, which who knows, right, uh, or, or gets acquired by somebody else or something, this will be one of those moments in its history where it's like, yeah, they probably should not have messed with 
the password sharing thing. Or, you know, it'll be successful and then soon HBO will crack down on this and Hulu will crack down on it and we'll all be paying more money for a service we already all enjoy. Uh, one more story this week before we move to Fast X. Uh, speaking of Fast X, zooms to a $675 million US opening at the box office this weekend. Good God, people turned out to watch Fast X, Andy. Everybody wants to watch Fast X. Don't you hear people talking about it in your life daily? How bad everybody <laughs> wants to go see the Fast and Furious movie? Um, well, turns out they, it, it's doing great. Well, people did and didn't at the same time. So domestically, it opened up to $67 million, which is actually really bad for this series. It's kind of been going down in viewership in the U.S., but overseas, it's still huge. The international markets are massive. $250 million overseas is no- nothing to you know be snide about. But um, Fast 7 opened to like $150 million domestically, and now we're at less than half of that. So that says something about at least how U.S. audiences are doing, but it's still, it's massive. It's over you know over three hundred million in its first weekend. It's gonna be a billion dollar movie probably when you start out that hot, um, and that's why we're gonna get probably another another at least another one to two movies to finish this series. And then, uh, I mean, Vin Diesel's been on all over the web hinting at spinoffs, and he's like, yeah, you know, we're waiting to wrap this up so we can just start all these, start doing the spinoffs, and it's just like, oh my gosh, make it stop. I know. Um, I, I think a lot of us, like, who... That's a nice way to say it. I, I think there's two kinds of Fast and Furious fans, all right? There's people who, like, have seen every one of these movies, and it's, like, tradition at this point to go with their family or their friends or get a gang together and go watch, like, the Fast and Furious uh, at the movies, like in the opening couple of weeks, right? Even if it's cheesy, even if it's stupid, like it's what you do, right? Buy the popcorn, buy the drink, like go watch Fast and Furious. You did it last year, do it again this year. It'll be great. And there's other people like who are just kind of weary, who have watched like a few of them, but fell off, right? Like watch them when they first came out, right? When they were actually hot, they were about uh, kids stealing VHS players. And maybe saw like Tokyo Drift and like one or two more, but got lost in the shuffle. Couldn't keep up with all the title changes, couldn't keep up with like who was who was in it and what was happening. Heard the Charlie Puth song one too many times, and, and like it just fallen <laughs> off. And, like, and Fast X feels like a movie that well, we'll get to the full review in a minute. But uh, fundamentally, like it seems like a movie that is made for like the the the, la- the former. It is just for the people who have been going to see all of these and are dedicated and will continue watching them until they end. Don't know what that means for the franchise once they start getting the spinoffs. As far as I know, Hobbs and Shaw did pretty good when they spun that off. Like I, I don't know. But this movie is clearly doing well, and they're going to continue to make more. God, I hope they don't make another two. Vin Diesel was saying that at like a red carpet event in in Rome for the premiere. There's a, there's a clip of him talking about it, by the way, and my man is sauced. Good God, like I couldn't believe I couldn't believe they were <laughs> filming him. Him and uh, somebody else from the cast, they they are all over the place. Like it's great, um, and he's talking about oh, we're going to make two more of these. God, please, Vin, let's just take the check and get out of the limelight, man. Go go fish or something. Uh, it, it is what it is. Uh, any excitement, Andy? For uh, where, where is this headed? What, what do you think? We're we getting I mean, steel book in ninety days. It's going to make <laughs> half a billion dollars. I mean, like we said, have said many times on the show, spectacle sells overseas. Uh, the less kind of Americanized you make movies, or, or the, the more you know that people just have to sit and watch and not really have a whole lot of plot going on. 
look at Avatar, <laughs> for instance, um, everyone will go see it because it's just a visual spectacle and you don't have to have a lot going on on screen. In fact, the less you have going on as far as like character and plot goes, probably the, the better it is. Um, but it, you know, it's doing incredible business abroad. And so we're, yeah, we're, we're, we're going to keep getting these. I, I pr- predicting a billion dollar movie for sure. Oh my God. I don't know. Maybe we'll, we'll see. I, I think it'll burn out fast. Like, cause I think fundamentally the movie's got some problems in it, which is probably the best place to segue into talking about fast X. Uh, Andy and I went and saw it this weekend. Uh, we covered fast nine on the show, uh, which is weird. That was the first one I'd seen in a while. Uh, now I'm excited to say we've come back to cover fast X. I'm going to be kind of taking the review on this. So please excuse any clumsy delivery from me. The movie is fast X. So Fast X is a surprisingly complicated tale. Uh, Your setup is functionally the same as all your previous Fast and Furious movies. Uh, The gang is having a barbecue and drinking Corona Light. uh, And and they got three bottles of A1 steak sauce on the table because the movie's sponsored by A1. Uh, And and Dominic Toretto is teaching his son how to drive. Lil B, he calls him, for for, named after (laughs) Brian, who's Paul Walker's uh, character in the franchise. Uh, when suddenly something happens, right? Uh, an op an op goes amiss at at the agency where they all work on the sly because they're all super spies now. And uh, <laughs> this th- real quick, out, this sa- th- yeah. this sounds like you're writing a like a, a script outline. By the it does, way, yeah, it doesn't even not, sound you're, real. You're, and you're you're not like these are literally what they call them in the movie. Yes, of course. Uh, and it turns out a a, a former character. Uh, who was involved in Fast the the op from Fast Five in 2011 uh, when Paul Walker and Vin Diesel ripped a bank vault out of a wall and drove it down the street with two souped up Mustangs? Uh, it turns out Jason Momoa is the son of a drug kingpin uh, in in Brazil. I think is where that happened, and and he was there on the day, even though you didn't see him in the movie. But he, they they CGI him in. And he's so pissed that they stole his money and iced his dad back in 2011. Now he's back, baby. Uh, and, and and in a surprisingly Joker-esque turn, uh, he's always five steps ahead of him. And nobody can catch this, this, this international man of mystery, Jason Momoa. Uh, and his whole lean is to make Dominic Toretto suffer for his crimes and the things that he's done before ultimately taking away his family his friends and everything that's important to him which of course is his family uh the movie is fast x it is a shockingly long watch at two and a half hours uh and i think like i said if you're a fan of the old ones you'll like this one i think if you didn't like the old ones you're gonna be real split on it andy what'd you think so i've seen a handful of these and we did go see uh fast nine i saw fast nine in d box (laughs) we could get thrown around the theater huge Uh, and i and I and I actually like I really enjoyed it because it's it's just it's ridiculous and it's fun and it's a good time. But this movie is not those things. <laughs> Somehow they they have this formula of what they do well and they decided to not really do it. Like what what worked has worked in these movies in the past are the, the ridiculous like stunts and the long driving action sequences, the the camaraderie and the the joking and teasing back and forth between the the team and we somehow we lost all that in this movie and i was bored out of my mind i looked down and i was like it's we're barely an hour into this we still have an hour and a half what like 
losing my mind. There, there's so much that's just not there. The the action driving stuff isn't near as fun as it's been in past films. Our team gets split up very early on in the movie, and then it you know you don't have that team camaraderie going on. The plot's all over the place. People are fast traveling all over the world. I mean, it's got it's got problems. Like this is probably the first one of these that I really haven't enjoyed because I, I've seen whichever one has the endless runway. I think that might be seven, maybe eight. A few of the other other ones, like they're generally a fun time, and this is the first time that I've really not had a good time seeing this. Yes, uh, Fast X is struggling under the weight of its own like baggage uh it is it trying to insert every character who has ever been featured in the fast and furious franchise ever in this one movie and it does not have enough time to do it all so you get this weird mishmash of characters getting split up and sent to different parts of the world and running into other characters from the franchise for just like two scenes I mean, they got everybody in here, and, and and all of them are in the trailer. Jason Statham is in here for, like, two scenes. Uh, Helen Mirren is in here for, like, a scene. Like, you're just blasting through it. And meanwhile, uh, you've got your primary conflict, like, Dominic Toretto uh, trying to track down Jason Momoa's villain and Jason Momoa uh, seemingly always staying ahead of, of Dominic Toretto, which is, like, fine, but doesn't result in enough actual, like, driving action. Um and that's probably the biggest offender of this. Like, the car action sucks. There's, like, two yeah. good car driving scenes. <laughs> and that's kind of it. There's a couple others, but they're not, like, good. That's the thing. Like, and, and I think, like, good Fast and Furious action has to have, like, good movement outside of the cars. Like, it's got to be more than just, like, people looking through their windows at each other and like scowling, right? Like you got to have something rad happen, like like driving a Ferrari out of a skyscraper and into another one. Or yeah, like ripping a vault out of a wall and having it scream down the street and take out eight cop cars. Like that kind of stuff is what works best. And like not only does it have poor movement with its characters, it's got poor movement with the cars. And like it just makes for a really long slog. Yeah, so why don't we start with with our our plot? So because th- this will kind of help illustrate all the all these points, um, we we start off with this uh, this you know the agency has an operation in in Rome, and they literally call the agency the I agency. Couldn't, it, I couldn't believe like, it when they said it in the movie. I thought it was like a joke line at first, and like no, it's re- and I saw Fast Nine, and even I had forgotten like how silly it is. I mean, it's it's like you might as well start calling him the the protagonist has you know it's, yeah <laughs> it's like right. Tenet, the, the protagonist but they end up in Rome and turns out it it's like uh, they've been b- betrayed and made uh, to look like terrorists and now they're public enemy number one and they get scattered across the globe half the team uh, bails out of Rome ends up in London Letty gets captured and arrested and sent to a prison in Antarctica. Vin Diesel somehow ends up back in L.A. Or, no, he, he hasn't been. He goes to Rio. That's right. Rio, Part yeah, of it's yeah. in. Um, so we're we're all over over the place. But then it it gets and there's a big exciting like car car thing that that happens at the end of Act One when all this happens and the team gets split up. But then it's just so boring after that. We we never really see everyone get back together. There's a, there's a couple of action fight scenes uh, for some reason, but uh, we don't see anyone getting into a car for like another hour and it's just like it, it's mind numbingly boring trying to get there 
I think a, a big problem with that is like the pairings, who who which characters are paired with which others and which settings. Yeah, part of our group is is spun off into like London, which is kind of most of our like miscreant characters, like like Ludacris and Tyrese. Um, they're fine over there doing their thing. Uh, you got John Cena on babysitting duty, which sucks. They give him the kid in this movie. He's got to take care of little B. And like, my man was done wrong. <laughs> my man was done dirty. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Cena is like one of the best actors in these in this franchise. And like, you're just gonna like, okay, sure. Uh, m- yeah, m- Michelle Rodriguez is handed off to Charlize Theron, and they're fine, you know. Like they're they're, fu- they're both they're both scowling and arguing with each other. Neat, you know, fine. And meanwhile, like Vin Diesel's left to face off with Jason Momoa's kind of character, who's basically operating from the shadows from this movie. And like Diesel, once again, is like somehow the least charismatic character out of anybody in the script. He's the most boring. <laughs> the worst person He's the on most screen. dry. Everybody acts better than him. And it's great because he's given every cool line. Almost every character that interacts with Diesel has a feed line where they say something to him that cues him up to say like the big profound thing about family in the moment. Or he says something funny about, I don't know, some cheeky joke that's stupid that like everybody's forced to laugh at. And this this comes at like a, a functional problem with the script. Remember Justin Lin, who was the guy who basically turned this whole series around uh, following Tokyo Drift. I think he did Tokyo Drift. Uh, he left shooting Fast X days into production. He he has done all of these up to this point. He he has like shaped this franchise into what it is. And he said he got so pissed trying to argue with Vin Diesel. There was a door slammed and phone calls and people were madder than hell that he left the production. He bailed on the whole thing. And they hired Louis Lettier, who is the director of the Transporter series, Now You See Me, uh, Marvel's Incredible Hulk. Uh, he, they hired him to pick it up, and he does a fine job, like cobbling it all together. But God, like he—it's like he has to work around how dry Diesel is in these movies. Um, and Diesel is not—it's funny because Diesel is acting this like he's not actually that dry of a dude in real life. I don't think he put out an album, which is fine. I've seen him in interviews; like he's—he's he's relatively more uppity. Than he is in these movies. Like the way he plays Dominic Toretto is just so flat. Like I, I just don't care, you know. And then of course there's Jason Momoa, who is actually really pleasant. I thought in this movie. Do you want to talk about his uh, kind of turn yes. of the villain here? Jason Momoa is having so much fun, and it's funny because I thought he looked kind of lame in the, in the trailers, but they really are downplaying because he's um, he's incredibly flamboyant. I feel like like they made they made him very gay. Very, very out, um, and he's 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 having he's like the Joker, and he he's having a great time, and he's but it's that it's one of those things that where he's like always a step ahead, and it's just annoying. He's like, oh, you thought you escaped that trap? That actually put you into the other trap that I had ready. Like, <laughs> right. there's so so much of that, which is it's kind of lame. But but he's good. He's he's having a uh, you know he, he's having a great mustache twirling. Uh, moment and some kind of psychotic <laughs> things that are very like I said, they, they have him in purple at, at some point, and I, and I was like, this is very Joker inspired. Yeah. Um, go ahead. Uh, well, funny enough, John Cena, I feel is doing a Batman audition through part of this. Yeah, I, I think so too. Uh, yeah, Momoa's also got like the best costuming in the movie. Like he's he's wearing all these like breezy outfits and he'll he'll come on from another scene. He's got like a jacket on and they'll have a costume change. We were in something else. He got his hair up at one point. 
like everybody else is just like fine you know it's like fast and furious street clothes like and it, it for what it's worth like it is nice to see the fast and furious series like run a different direction with a villain that's not just like cold hard badass like Charlize theron or john cena or dwayne johnson or jason statham all these people were that role they were just like the flat two-tone i'm a jerk kind of character and that actually is in here a little bit goes to alan richson who plays the head of the agency uh, is formerly in blue mountain <laughs> state where he's very funny very funny in that show uh and he did jack reacher on amazon uh now he's in this is kind of the guy picking up the slack where kurt russell's mr nobody left off these are real things <laughs> kurt russell's but, mr but, nobody is a real character he uh, is hilarious scott yeah. eastwood's character is called little nobody is he really? God, I forgot Scott Eastwood was in this. Yeah, I, I I am impressed at like the number of people they managed to get on set for these things and to get to return to roles. And like in that way, that's a nice thing. It's like uh, it's like how I feel watching a Wes Anderson movie when like Bill Murray pops up and I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot he's in this. Like Owen Wilson pops up, like oh yeah, I forgot he's in this. It happens like eight times in this movie. Like somebody will show up and you're like, oh yeah, I forgot I forgot that person's in here. But it does not help the drama, which ultimately like is really slow. Between the action, you just don't care. Like it's it just feels real dry. And you know it's building towards something bigger. It's got this like Avengers Infinity War kind of feel to it, where like you know they're not really gonna resolve the plot in this movie, because everybody's talked about this being a part one. So like that that's kinda lame too, you know. You know it's not the film you're watching is not really building to resolution, uh, which is not awesome. Yeah, I, I did did want to mention. I'll get to John Cena in a second. Uh, Brie Larson is in is in the is she in yeah, the, she any is. of the other ones? Or is this her first? I couldn't even tell you. And and we I saw think, Fast Nine, and I, I don't even remember. I, I think she uh, she is also part of the uh, you know Mister Nobody family. <laughs> I think that's where again she she also works for the agency. Um, it just kind of shows up in really fabulous outfits whenever, hey, whenever she's she, yeah. she she's needed. Uh, but yeah, I, I did want to talk about John Cena some more. Uh, he gets put on the lone wolf and cub mission. Has to go has to road trip with the kid. Um, and it's and I yeah I feel bad for him because it's like it's the least amount of action. It's just. You're wasting Cena. Like, yeah, you're, you're wasting Cena in this move, movie yeah. for sure. You've got him acting solo opposite a child actor. Like, come on. Like, you're never going to get anything cool going on there. Everybody's like yawning and getting up and going to the bathroom, right? Like, nobody checking to watch. Like, get 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 a refill on the popcorn, honey. <laughs> Those are the moments where, like you really don't care, um, which is a bummer. I, I'm running out of things to say about it. Uh, I, I Good needle drops. I give it credit. Like, every Fast and Furious soundtrack is a great great gym playlist on spotify like lots of fun music decent driving you know but it's just like i i really do feel like this series is is reaching what should be its end and diesel for the love of god can't let go because it's all he's got in his life and and it's sad i do i do <laughs> feel was, like yeah he's a he he did at least get in better shape in this movie he was a little tubby in, in fast nine he did, did slim down a little bit. Started hitting the weight. The weight definitely looks a lot, a lot better. Uh, but man, uh, I was gonna say the middle of the film has a, a big street race section because they have to remember to get back to street racing every Just now good. and then. That's that's a good thing. Yeah. So, even though it's there, like it's kind of turned in, turned into Mission Impossible now. Uh, but yeah, they they you know you have the the classic street racing. That's where we see uh, Daniela Melquar. Who was also in Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, make her debut in this. Of uh, who is, of course, the long lost sister of someone that I forget. People are constantly 
popping up with uh unknown relatives in in this universe yeah um go ahead it no just it feels like this series has really reached like peak peak vapid you know what i mean like peak peak vanity um our stars are never breaking a sweat you know they're never working for it like they're just they're just kind of manufactured on screen they remind me like the transformers like they're each just this cast of like individual caricatures that are like haha fast and furious i drive a car and and pay me and and i'm just surprised at how many people still turn out for this it's the same as like the jurassic world dominion crowd like yeah that 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 theater was full of people who were on their phones half the movie and were filming part of it for snapchat so they could like roll it into other people viewing their lives through the lens of social media and like in that way like that's what fast and furious feels like it's become like there's really there's no substance here it's just like just crank it out it's formulaic it'll make money you know that that's the thing and like if anything worked in these movies it was at least the damn the damn action right like at least I would see something cool happen with a car. And uh, even Fast 10 doesn't have enough of that like to save it, I think. I, yeah. I hope whatever's there, next is big. There were moments where I thought the screen looked 100% animated. Like, this looks like I'm watching a cartoon. Oh, for because sure. Because of <laughs> everything that's happening. Yeah. There, I mean, there's yeah, there's bad green screen behind people, like, when they're at their stupid barbecue. Like, it's really obvious. Like, you guys are on a set. Like, none of this is... You know, that's a green wall behind you. It's not <laughs> it's not like a picturesque view of Los Angeles. You couldn't be bothered to go out and shoot it. No, no. We're just gonna shoot that on shoot shoot that on studio, you know, stage stage eight. <laughs> we'll do that do that soon on a Tuesday. Like it's just it, like it just feels like so much less than like what it used to be. I mean, for God's sake, uh uh Tyrese's character has a has a gold Lambo at one point in the scene. I don't think you ever even get like a full shot of it just driving. Cameras just cutting around it, switching to other stuff. I'm just like, show me the cars. <laughs> let me just let me just see the cars. That would be cool. And like, it can't it can't even get that right, you know. Like if it can't if it can't focus on characters who who are too too out of place, like to to fit anywhere, and it can't have a good plot. Like I don't know. At least give me that. At least Jason Momoa is having fun, you know. Like at least at least he had a good time. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, any other thoughts on this for recommendations? No, I'm ready. Andy, would you recommend Fast X? Only to hardcore fans of the franchise. If you're someone who's seen every single movie and you rewatch them and you're there on day one, definitely for you, catch up with the rest of the crew. Uh, for anyone else who's not really interested, I would say hard pass. Uh, don't even wait for it while on streaming because it's so long. It's the full two and a half hours. Um, cut, cutting a half hour out would have helped it a lot, but it's just... It's not even fun anymore. It's not even like stupid popcorn fun. Yeah, I'm in the same boat. And if you're a big fan of the series, like you'll probably enjoy it. And I don't listen for all my railing on how terrible it is. Like, I want to be clear. Like, this is not something that just fell out of like the franchise. It has been slowly progressing in this direction, like with more character focus and more. God, there's a ton of characters and, and witty dialogue like. If you are a fan of that, if you have watched up to this point and you're invested, you're probably going to think this is a good time, right? Go to the theater, get your phone out. You don't 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 worry about anybody else. Text the whole movie. Who cares? Uh, and and you're going to love Fast X. But like, like if you fell off this series, like most people I think have, and you've only seen like a handful of them and haven't seen the last like three of them, there's nothing here for you. Like go go back to the older movies. You'll like them more. Um, maybe as 
maybe as a part of a whole, Fast X will look better in the rear view. Like maybe, I don't know, Fast 11 uh, or, or Fast 12 or whatever comes out and it makes it feel like more of a complete package. But for what we have here, like this is just half of like an unsatisfying something like it's it's just not that it's just not there it's not there uh and that's that's fast x uh, maybe they'll get just justin lynn back for the next one maybe they could pay him enough and and lock down a script that vin diesel's not going to mess with uh to give his character all the good lines uh with that we should move on to our middle segment andy what do we call this it's time for the trailer park well we we've had a bunch of trailers drop this week we managed to whittle it down uh to three uh, the first one we're going to talk about is called The Creator, and this is an interesting sci-fi thing that we saw this week uh, starring John David Washington and Gemma Chan involving, uh, he looks like some sort of bounty hunter sent uh, on a mission in a world where there are like humans and AI robots, um, and it seems like the society has now decided to eliminate all all robots. Um, John David Washington is, is sent to uh, destroy one that basically looks like a child, he can't really do it because they look like like a human child slash robot thing. He can't do the mission, so he's got to try and protect it and also find some sort some sort of peace between warring factions of robots and humans. Um, this looks like an interesting pre- uh, premise, but it's it's a September release and it's uh, directed by Gareth Edwards, who. Uh, destroyed rogue one and somehow was saved by <laughs> another by Hold editing on. Well, you, we don't know he destroyed it we just know he directed most of it and disney hated it so much that they hired ron howard to come fix it right that's no no, no that was solo who did i forget who they got tony gilroy was the editor on uh rogue one and he said he said he came back in and basically put together a different film um and Gareth Edwards has said since that this that's probably the best it's going to get. But what it's worth, like, the creator looks cool on paper. Like, I, I think he has a little bit of that, like, Denis Villeneuve feeling of scope. Like, you make a person really small on screen and you make a ship ginormous, right? Like, and it makes mm-hmm. makes them feel like part of, like, a much fuller world. And also it's got a little bit of, that, like, uh, Neil Blomkamp District 9 kind of appeal with, like, having robots integrated directly into society, right? Like, these are just normal things in daily life. Like, John David Washington's in it. I think it looks not bad. And then Andy pointed out, yeah, man, it's coming out in like September. It's a weird time for movies to come out. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Keep it here for more on the creator. Next movie we need to talk about is Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Uh, for all of my guff about how Fast X does not work and has way too many people from the franchise because it's beginning to wrap up something, boy, Mission Impossible 7 Dead Reckoning, same formula, different outcome. Uh, this movie looks like a lot of fun. It looks a little complicated, I'll be honest, but like, Man, you got big action. You got Tom Cruise going big on it. The whole cast is back. You got a motorcycle jump. They crash two trains into each other. Uh, He's doing sleight of hand magic again. They even got that villain from the first one back. Like, it looks like a great time. It's also (laughs) like two and a half hours. Andy, what do you think? So I was hoping we'd get something different from this trailer because the teaser, which was like two minutes long, came out last summer, like a full year ahead of the release. And we've had to see it a million times <laughs> since then. Um, so I was hoping to get like just new stuff, um, kind of get a little bit more in the plot. But we did. We basically got the same trailer, just kind of recut differently. But it's the same. Like you see a bunch of the action and a bunch of your favorite stars and fight scenes and gun battles and things like that. But you have no idea what what this movie's about because um, it's just 
all, all this action. We do see that Palm Clementif has joined the cast um, from uh, who plays uh, what's her name Mantis. on Guardians of the yeah, she, we, Mantis and Guardians in of the one? Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's now on the poster, which uh, she wasn't in any of the other promo stuff. So uh, that's cool. But yeah, uh, we just don't really know at all what's going on, and I was kind of annoyed by that, but. Uh, I'm a big fan of this series. I have enjoyed uh, all these pretty well, and so I'll definitely be going be going to see it. That comes out the week before um, Barbie. Oh man, that probably smart timing on their part. Get out, get out before Oppenheimer comes. God, dude, that's gonna hurt Oppenheimer. <laughs> if you if you're taking if you're taking Dad to the movies, what's he gonna see? Like Oppenheimer or the new Mission Impossible movie? Like I know it comes out the next week, but come on, like Nolan can't catch a break, dude. Look, we're gonna watch Oppenheimer for the podcast. Right? I just want I, I want all of you to know that it's gonna be a great week in the movies, but um, I just don't know how it's gonna perform. Uh, one more tra- trailer. You want you want to talk us about this one or should I? Uh, yes. We we got the the first trailer for Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon, um, which is now is premiering at, at the Cannes Film Festival this week. So we've had our first people see it, view it. People are writing reviews. Um, man, th- there is a lot going on in this trailer. It looks really good. Reminds me a lot of uh, something like There There Will Be Blood. It centers around um, what looks like an oil operation in on kind of an Indian reservation, which uh, eventually turns into a series of mur- murders that are eventually investigated. There's like a serial killer on the loose, um, but we don't get a lot of that. I just know that from doing research, but we mostly just see these scenes of like the period of, of the 20s, um, Leonardo DiCaprio coming out, out there, moving. And so we just have a lot of images, but we don't really know, but it's... Man, it looks good. It is three and a half hours, but um, if, if the only person who gets a pass is Scorsese, yeah, maybe for you. Like Scorsese gets a <laughs> loose pass. Like, come on, over three, over three hours. How am I going to convince my dad to go watch that movie with me? Like, there's no way, right? Like, he's going to have to watch it in parts at home. Like, when it comes to a streaming service, which I am sure it will. I think Apple TV is putting out, right? Yep. Apple's Apple's on behind that, so that's where it'll be. Um, I think this movie looks great. Yeah, like I, it's Scorsese, man. Like I'll turn up to see that. I don't care what that guy does. I'll, I'll go watch it. My man could go experimental and I like, check it out. And hearing early reports, it's Leonardo DiCaprio's career best. Hard to believe. I'm gonna be honest. Hard to believe. My man has put out some banger performances. So you tell me it's his best. You tell me it's Scorsese's one of Scorsese's best in a while. I'm gonna go see that movie. Uh, we should probably check out. Check out. This, well, real quick, check out uh, this cast. It involves a. Uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Robert De Niro, newcomer Lily Gladstone, uh, Jesse Plemons, John Lithgow, Brendan Fraser. I mean, it's it's a stacked cast, and it's this epic, you know, two hundred million dollar film. So we're definitely going to be talking about it. it. Comes out in October, I believe. I know this joke has been made before, but you got to wonder if Scorsese was like, I know who I want for this like cop character who's serious and intimidating. Get me Matt Damon, and they were like, he's filming Oppenheimer, sir. And he was like Jesse Plemons. <laughs> Call him up. Give me a discount, <laughs> Matt Damon. He'll be yeah, he's diet Matt, Matt Damon. Diet Matt Damon. That's right. No, I love that. Love Plemons. Can't wait to watch it. Uh, one more movie on the podcast, Andy. What do you want? To, what are we talking about? Uh, a history of violence. How come he's so good at killing people? So the reason this came up on our radar is that uh, James Gunn 
was uh, talking about his favorite comic book adaptations uh, from comic book to film. And, uh, you know, he, he mentioned some of the things that, that we've all seen before, like The Dark Knight, but then mentioned a couple we hadn't uh, or that people don't really talk about. Uh, number one was Old Boy, uh, the Korean f- revenge film, uh, which we have reviewed on the show. But the other one, one of the other ones was A History of Violence, uh, which I didn't know was a graphic novel, but it was turned into a film in 2005 by David Cronenberg. Uh, starring Viggo Mortensen and uh, was nominated for two Academy Awards, including um, Best Screenplay. So we wanted to take a look back, and I've been trying to get Zach to watch this movie for a while because I remember it being really having an impact on me. Um, Anyways, the film stars, like I said, Viggo Mortensen as Tom Stahl. Tom lives in a small Midwestern town, very folksy. He's got a, a... Loving wife played by Maria Bello, two two great kids. He helps run a diner. It's a kind of town where everyone knows each other by their first name. Everyone knows everyone's business. Everyone waves and says hi. And it's just like hallmark middle America, like a little nauseating <laughs> um, in, in the first act. But uh, eventually, um, two men try to rob the diner where Tom Stahl works. And uh, in an act of of heroism he kind of leaps into action and has to eventually kind of kill these two bad guys and is you know deemed a a hero he's a hometown hero he gets on the news uh but he doesn't really like it he doesn't want to do interviews he just wants to you know get get back with his family put it all behind him but this act of heroism gets the attention of uh, some bad people from philadelphia who come looking for tom who may or may not be uh what he says he is or what he appears to be. So that's our setup. Uh, Zach, what'd you think? 2005. I I liked it. I liked a history of violence. Uh, I didn't think I would, uh, even when Andy told me I would, and I'll tell you why I, I think a history of violence, like really hurts from the time it came out as it was infamously the last big release film to be put on VHS. I think that was the deal. Um, before everybody pivoted straight to DVD. Uh, I remembered seeing an old trailer for it that is rough. It's actually on IMDb. You can find the trailer on YouTube. I, I've seen it. It is very poorly edited. It is very bad because it's got all these trappings of like old VHS thriller editing for a trailer with like it's it's just not it's not a good trailer and, and I just didn't think a lot of it and because the trailer doesn't show a lot. I just kind of assumed there wasn't much substance in the movie, but there is actually, I'm, I'm pleased to say I'm a big Cronenberg fan too. Uh, I'm surprised at how many movies I've seen of his going back. And, and um, just last year we watched crimes of the future uh, starring Viggo Mortensen directed by David Cronenberg. Like they've worked together for a long time. So I, I was pleased to say that like this one came out better than I thought it was going to be. And, and that's, really charming and does not always happen with older media like this. Like sometimes you go back and watch a, a four by three feature. <laughs> you're like, mm, yeah. this, this is not hold up, but like history of violence actually does. And I had no idea it was based on a comic book. Shout out to James Gunn um, for, for being the, the reason we watched this movie. Where do you want to start talking about this? Cause I got a lot of hot takes. I want to start with our, our kind of setup and, and plot. So Cronenberg uh, does a great job of kind of subverting expectations because the the movie starts out with um after the opening scene which which uh is very very slow like painfully slow but goes from zero to a hundred in in an instant um well what do you think about just that much this is the opening scene 
Man, the opening is really effective and is one of the reasons I, I really, really got to like in this movie fast. Uh, it's like a four and a half minute one take, which they did not do a lot back in the back in the day. Those have those have come into, I think, like popularity a bit more since. And now you get like the digital oneer, right? Where like they're kind of strung together CGI and they kind of hide the edits. Um, but Cronenberg doesn't have that luxury. Yeah, he shoots this these two guys, uh, kind of disheveled looking gentlemen coming out of a motel in the morning. Uh, one of them's younger, one of them's older, uh, and they hop in their car, and, and the younger guy's like, I'm so sick of this life. I'm so over it. I, I want to get out of this. I, I, I'm done with it. And the older guy's like, rolls his shoulders, like, well, that's, that's the job, kid. Like, you don't really get an idea what they're getting into. Um, and, and as these guys, like, pull around to, the, like, the, the, the motel office to pay their bill and get out of there and hit the road again, they're talking about, you know, we better get going. Sun's getting high. Um, and they, they pay their bill and, and that's when you quickly discover like <laughs> these two gentlemen are, are not as they seem. And that's the first time a history of violence, like gives you that, that turn that like, you don't really know who you're watching. It starts with these two dudes right here. And then you get a, a flash to, uh, <laughs> like, like Andy said, this Hallmark kind of life. Uh, with Tom Stall and his family, it is like a Folgers ad. Like it cuts out of this like horrific scenario with these two dudes to like a, a coffee commercial. Uh, 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 young, what's what's her name? Sarah Stall wakes up in her bed and she's she's shouting. And Dad runs in, played by Viggo Ward, Tom Stall. What what happened, honey? And she's like, I had a nightmare. He's like, Oh, come here and hugs her. And then like his son Jack comes in. What's going on, Dad? <laughs> He's like, Sarah had a nightmare. Oh no, maybe she, maybe maybe she had a bad dream. And then right then the light comes on and Mom comes in. Edie, played by Maria Bello. What what's happening, gang? Like it's so perfect. Like it just gives you each one of them right up front in the most like sickly sweet presentation you could get of this small town family, like who just living their lives in the middle of Indiana, right? Like Tom owns a diner and he's doing his thing. Kids are going to school. Like just just no trouble, <laughs> no trouble sort of lifestyle. Yeah, it's um, like a leave it to beaver level. Yes. Uh, like it, it is like I literally laughed. Like when when the light comes on and J- Jack's like, what, what's going on, Dad? <laughs> like just one after another. It's like a stage the, play. Yeah, there's there's a part of the the, the B plot is um, you know, like the son Jack is he's he's having trouble with uh baseball and they he gives them the dad gives them a motivational speech he was like you know just don't stay under it don't let it get over you unless it's out of the park you know and and of course then in the the big game he catches the ball and it's like it makes you almost want to, to roll your eyes yeah which is so good because of like the horror that that is coming yeah. uh once things uh uh kind of get going and it's it sets up these questions like it's called a, a history of violence and violence is the theme and it's very strange because it's it's kind of about survival and you know in uh, a kind of lesser movie would be like we don't need violence we're just going to talk about talk out our problems but yeah the, the characters in the movie have to use kind of are forced to use it and sometimes maybe not but it's kind of this thing that no that every no one can escape as much as they try to that uh, that baseball game is like the first spot in this movie where you can really see like the edges of the budget because Jack mentions to his dad, "Oh, I, I've got baseball later, Pop, but I'll you know I'll be around at the shop, whatever." And like it cuts this ball game, and like all these dudes are wearing like T-shirts that like the production designer just like got out of a bin. They were like, "Here, put these on. <laughs> you're the yellow ones, and you're the red ones." And, like they're supposed to be playing in like what is functionally their school's physical education program. It's like PE. 
And like no PE department in the world is giving you like brand new, fresh washed like shirts that these kids are wearing. Like I couldn't tell if they were like a formal baseball team or what they were. And like that, that's where you realize like this movie shot on a small budget. And Cronenberg, I think, does a good job of stretching that. It shot up in Canada. Uh, looks pretty much like Indiana. Like I, I mean, you, I don't think anybody would know watching it at home that you're not in like small town America. And Tom Stahl runs this little diner, and it's at this baseball game. Yeah, where his son Jack gets bullied by another player, and, and while he's getting bullied, the, the the player, this guy tries to challenge him to fight him, and Jack says like, "What would be the point? Like vi- violence isn't the answer." And that that's when I think like you you kind of get your first real peek at like what what the movie is trying to say, right? Like. Ultimately, like violence is not really a solution anywhere and there's no real point to it. But like sometimes people are just driven to it, like for reasons, you know, what, what, I don't know, reason, reason, one reason or another. They're threatened or they feel threatened. Right. Like in this this, this answer of like throwing hands and, and getting a gun out is uh, not a great thing. But then right then the movie does something really clever because when the when, at the beginning, when they cut from like the opening of these two guys uh, getting leaving this motel who were in one of them's like, I got to get out of this business for me. And then it cuts to older Tom Stahl, like hugging his, his daughter in bed and she's having a nightmare. It made me think, Oh, maybe that's that guy. Maybe, maybe that was a flashback, right? Maybe that opening scene is that dude in the car who was like, I don't want to do this anymore. And Tom Stahl is that guy. Like, that's that's a flash forward, right? That's where we're at now. And then, right then in the movie, when Jack's talking about this stupid bully thing, those two dudes show up, which was so great. I so didn't expect it. Like, I, I, I really didn't think that was, these guys were going to be present. And by showing up in present time, like, it shows they are a threat to our characters. Like, our, our heroes, our, our, the Stahl family, is now functionally at, in, in danger of these two dudes, like, who are dangerous men. Uh, and that was a really pleasant twist too for me. Like right in the first act, I was like, "Oh, <laughs> I, I didn't, I didn't think this was going to happen." Like now, Tom Stall better watch out for these dudes. They're they're not they're not good guys, um, which makes it all the more satisfying when they run into each other and functionally trigger the 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 events of the film. Right, like they th- this is where the violence begins. Um, that right. was really cool. That that was really satisfying on first watch. Right. We, when we have this eventual confrontation in, in the diner, part of the thing that, you know, initially it's like, oh, wow, Tom, Tom just leapt into action. and He's uh, he's a hero. But then when when everyone's kind of stops and thinks about it for a minute, they were like, well. How. Uh, Tom, how did you, exactly did you do that? Because because he just leaps into action. He. Uh, doesn't think like the this movie's old, so I'm gonna spoil some of it. But like he yeah. smashes a guy over, over the head with uh, the the coffee pot, you know, though just hot coffee, just smashes without out thinking. And then you know he jumps over the bar, grabs a gun, shoots the other guy, and it's just like all in one smooth motion. It's, it's almost like he, what you would see in a fight scene. Um, and every at first everyone's like, oh man, he's a hero. But then it's like, how, how'd you do that so easily? How'd you? Which leads us in into a brilliant act too when um, Ed Harris's character uh, shows up and they got this big black sedan. They're dressed like guys from the city. They, they he comes in wearing glasses and he starts call, calling Tom Joey. He's like, "Nice to see you, Joey." And he's like, "I'm sorry, sir. I, I don't know who I'm. My name is Tom." And he keeps pressing, and uh, you get the feeling like these are some gangsters, like some real uh, like. Mob, mob type figures and they they have a big in, interest in Tom and they keep they keep kind of coming around and bothering him and uh you know they kind of they say 
they kind of think he's someone else. They're like, you know, I think you're actually this uh, guy we used to know in Philadelphia, and I think you're just kind of hiding out here. And he tried, no, no, sir, that that's not me. And it this it brings up another kind of theme in this film, which is identity, um, because we we think Tom is one thing, and everyone, including his wife and family, thinks he's he's one thing, but maybe he's not. <laughs> Yeah, and like this, this is introduced a couple times, like in the movie with those guys in that great opening scene. Uh, are these guys good dudes? They're not. Okay, well, was that Tom Stall in the past? It isn't. Okay, well, are they a danger to him? They are. By the time you get to whether or not Tom is a good or bad dude, you're not sure first time around. And and I should say, like, this is part of where I think the movie is a little weak, dude. V, Viggo Mortensen. L- listen. Love him to death. I've seen a lot of movies of Viggo Mortensen. He's great as Aragorn, Lord of the Rings. Uh, he does not get the emoting right for being like a suspicious man. He he comes off as like, he just kind of looks confused in a lot of scenes. Like he's just kind of <laughs> wide eyed and he's not really answering people. And you're like, what's your deal guy? And I, it, it's rare when a movie will accuse a character of being somebody they're not. And they actually won't be that person. Typically when a script, it's like a Chekhov's gun situation. Typically when a script calls for somebody to be sneaky and underhanded, they are. Because otherwise it wouldn't it wouldn't be in the script in the first place, right? Uh, and, and I thought watching this, because of the clever start, because of the kind of turn in the first act, I thought maybe it's not him. Even the title like implies that Tom Stahl has, quote, a history of violence, right? It's the name of the freaking movie. Like everything points to him being... Probably having some kind of history and being able to clock these guys in this diner is is evidence of that. But you're not sure. And and like I thought, you know, maybe it's maybe it's clever enough that he won't actually be what he says he is. Maybe maybe that's the way this is gonna go. Um so that was that was at least a satisfying mystery, but I, I that's not it's not because of Eagle Mortensen's performance. <laughs> like it's because of it's because of like the way Cronenberg puts puts the movie together. Like that's that's the reason I felt that way watching this. I, I should say his wife, Maria Bello's acting circles around him. Although she's far too like she she goes too far, I think. And the two of them end up like lacking chemistry. Um leading up to, I should say, rather uncomfortable <laughs> a couple of a couple of rather uncomfortable lovemaking scenes in this movie. Uh so I, w- I wanted kind of wanted to talk about that because like I said Violence is kind of a theme of the movie, and I think what this kind of story and director is kind of arguing is that, like, sometimes violence is a necessity. It's not about is it moral or immoral. It's it's sometimes you need it for survival. And we we have this this really awkward um, uh, love scene towards the the beginning uh, with our husband wife character. And then we have another one later on in the film and they're drastically different. And, and I think it, that's part of this idea that the violence isn't, is in all of us or everyone is capable of it, that we see it also with the son. Cause you know, the first time we see the son get bullied, he, he is clever and talks his way out of it, kind of embarrasses the bully, uses the power of logic. Um, but then he kind of gets pushed into a situation later in the film where he he kind of doesn't have um, a choice but to be violent. And also having seen his dad be violent is also weirdly inspired it. I want to talk about William Hurt 
in this movie. Um, he's not in it much. He's got a little bit of that like Anthony Hopkins Silence of the Lambs thing where he's only in it for like 16 minutes, but got nominated for an Oscar for it, which is crazy. Uh, he's barely in the movie and caught a, caught a supporting Oscar nom uh, for his performances as uh, Richie in this movie. And he is... Uh, what do you, what do you think about him, Andy? Because like first first watch, I I didn't take him very seriously and was surprised to see he got an Oscar nom for this. But uh, I don't I don't know. Is that just me? Like am I too am I too far away from two thousand five? Like when this would have been more relevant? Like no, I I was kind of surprised watching this too. I was because I, I I know that it had a couple of Oscar nominations and I was looking for the for the second one. And then I saw it was for William Hurst performing. He's in like he literally has one scene and he's good, but. He's like, not. It's not like a Hannibal Lecter scene, or no. Or I, I would have given like it to that. Ed Harris before I gave it to him for this movie. <laughs> like he's he's fine. He's fine. It, it honestly is a nice thing to pop up towards towards the end of the feature. Like, oh, William Hurt's in this movie. Great, but I don't know. Um. Yeah, it it was really surprising, but I I love where where the film eventually goes because like you know it doesn't give us a clean. Uh, kind of well, violence isn't the answer. We should just talk out all our problems. It gives us a much more, um, kind of controversial message, which is that, uh, sometimes violence is unavoidable and it's in all of us. And when, <laughs> like, we're all capable. Um, and I, I was reading uh through Roger Ebert's review um that that he wrote back in two thousand five, and one of the things he talked about, you know, is it, it seems like Tom was a different person in the past and has now created this very peaceful life. And that the, the idea that, you know, is peace now purchased with violence elsewhere or violence in the, in the past, uh, just re- really interesting uh, messaging that kind of comes through the movie. Yeah. Like overall, I was pleased at how, like how thoughtful it ends up being like for a feature that again, like had a terrible trailer in my opinion and it's like 90 minutes. Right. Like, and it came out on VHS. Like I, it's easy to like relegate this one to like the back fence, especially for Cronenberg's career. Right. You say David Cronenberg, you usually think body horror. You think the flies starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. You think Videodrome, long live the new flesh. Uh, maybe even like something like crimes of the future. Um, I don't typically think of like his more, kind of tamped down work when he was like shooting in spring in Canada. <laughs> like That's not typically, not typically what I expect from him, but it's nice that like this movie not only has like this kind of this underpinning of something much more serious that I think is what his other work usually tackles. Uh, you do actually get a little bit of that, vi- that fight of, you know, violence choreography. God, I sh- this, the squibs in this movie are excellent, by the way. Like, whenever somebody gets shot, the blood explosion that comes out the front of them is top class. Like, oh, it looks so good. <laughs> like, you were really yeah, over the, the top. The blood's bl- bright red. Like, oof. Oh, God. I remember I remember what uh, part of what was so stark when, when I first watched this is, again, you have this hallmark movie set up and then when the violence happens it is brutal it is graphic it is hard hard to watch i mean it's like what you would watch in in a war film and so it's it's such a stark juxtaposition and that's it's so effective when it happens yeah it really is like oh overall i was really pleased like it's it listen a lot of people recommend stuff to watch for this show and and we love recommends um but it's not every day that one comes along that is like particularly charming that I've, you know, somebody like me have looked at in the past and like just written off. I'm like, eh, it looks fine. 
Um, so way to go, man. This is a great, this is a great recommendation. I, I really like this movie. I, it's speaking of Andy, uh, are you ready to move on to recommendations? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Would you recommend *History um, Violence*? <laughs> absolutely would for the uh, for the the esteemed cinephile. Uh, this is going yeah. way back to two thousand five. Um, it's short. It's only ninety minutes. Uh, but just profound movie and told it. And I think in a very in a very um it's it's just so effective the way it the setup is so like midwest western folksy and then there's this incredible violence that you're going to witness later on and just like this meditation on the subject like violence and giving us uneasy uneasy answers as opposed to kind of the what you would get in a, in a hallmark mark movie yeah. um yeah. so so i highly recommend content warning for strong violence yeah, man. I, I that, that's worth mentioning. Uh, it, it, History of Violence is a surprisingly challenging watch. I think for more sensitive viewers, like it really does not. I I, I get why it advertised poorly back in the day. Just watching the trailer, I'm like, they can't they can't show all of the really juicy stuff, and it's got to move efficiently, like for an audience that's not used to stuff like this. So it just feels like a movie that was maybe even a little ahead of its time. So surprisingly based on a comic book, which is baffling, but just just like old boy, like you'd be surprised like the quality of storytelling you can find between the pages of a graphic novel. Um, I like History of Violence. It's, it's a good time. Would recommend. And we're going to talk about what we're watching next week on the show, Andy. Andy, what are we watching next week on the show? We will be watching the live action The Little Mermaid, the uh, musical... Thing starring Halle Bailey, which I can finally say her name and not say Halle Berry. Yes, <laughs> Halle Bailey um, comes out this Friday in theaters only. Um, I've heard good things. Heard it's the described as the best live action since uh, Beauty and the Beast. Um, good scene, good songs. We'll see. It is super long. It is two hours and fifteen minutes. Uh, the original is like an eighty-five minute movie. So, not looking forward to that. But we uh, will be, we've seen it. This movie's had a lot of controversy around it and a lot of, uh, you know, just, it's been a little uneasy. So we'll see where it goes. And then we're also going to be taking a look at an HBO film uh, called Reality, which is about a reality winner who was an NSA uh, contractor who leaked documents and was subsequently jailed. Um, and so it's a look, look at a fictionalized telling of, of hers uh, starring Euphoria's Sydney Sweeney. Uh, so we'll be taking a look at that also. Yes. Uh, I saw a tweet about a little mermaid that I wanted to share on the show. Cause I think it's hilarious and a little representative of Disney's live action strategy uh, in response to somebody saying a critic saying that uh, Disney's little mermaid live action was as a return to a return to form, just as good as Disney's 2017 little mermaid or uh, beauty and the beast live action. Somebody said that's like saying the broken glass I'm chewing on right now is better than the barbed wire I was chewing on last week. <laughs> I I've heard Halle Bailey's excellent in it, which I I felt that way since like the first trailer when she's just like singing a track, and I was like, okay, clearly she's got pipes. She'll probably be awesome. And I hear it's more colorful than it's supposed to be. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. It's more enjoyable in my head than 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 it's gonna. Well, it's more enjoyable on screen than it is in my head. I, additionally, excited about reality. I'm gonna have to find time to watch that somewhere in there. Um, and then also coming up way down the line, Spider Man. Spider-Verse just the Monday after. We'll definitely be covering that on the show. But if you enjoyed the show today, if you liked what we were talking about, if you want to know more about a history of violence or 
Maybe I was too harsh on Fast X, you think? Uh, you can tell us how you felt by corresponding with us at our email, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com. You can also comment on this video, wherever you're watching, whether it be on Facebook, where we live stream every Tuesday, or on YouTube, where we're uploading our, our, our reviews. Lots of good things happening on YouTube. Just check us out over there. Uh, we're on all the usual podcast platforms, iTunes, Google, Spotify, iHeartMedia. Uh, we are on all the usual social media sites, Facebook, where we live stream the show, Twitter, Instagram, and find us over there. Leave comments. Uh, you can find our website, offscriptfilmreview.com. Email us correspondence, mail at offscriptfilmreview.com, uh, and all those things. But the best thing you can do to support your boys here on Offscript is just subscribe. Just subscribe to Offscript. Get new episodes delivered straight to your phone every single week. Leave us a rating and review while you're at it. Totally up to you, just as long as it's got five stars on it. You know, just do your thing. Be honest with yourself. And, uh, you know, tell us tell us what you thought of the show. That would be huge. Uh, from all of us at Offscript, the home of Bold Cinema, I'm Zach Lewis. And I'm Dr. Draper. Thanks for watching.